Hello, my name is Bidem Yologunde and you are listening to episode 138 of the Bid Picture Podcast. On this episode, I will discuss secondary effects of the pandemic on workplace culture such as the rise of off-site meetings and new risks to banks and landlords due to expiring office leases. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. Okay, so traditional company gatherings at hotels, spas, and other exotic locations seem to be pointing to a new innovative model for getting employees back to work in person. So about two years after the pandemic sent many white-collar professionals home, um, bosses are eager to reconvene employees, hoping that in-person interactions will spark new ideas and help to lessen feelings of isolation and Zoom fatigue as the pandemic drags on. So the challenge, however, is figuring out where and how to gather. Some companies ditched um, offices recently or loosened their policies to allow their employees to move away from company locations. So this recent development now has many executives rethinking the notion of the annual corporate gathering. For years, offsites were essentially a new way to get entire companies or teams together to mark milestones such as a sales kickoff, um, an end of year celebration, or a product strategy summit. But as more companies embrace hybrid work models and fully remote teams, the concept of employees gathering periodically offsites is increasingly looking like a way to strengthen company culture and foster connections among colleagues. So the fear of losing such connections and the benefits of in-person work is spurring companies to look at non-traditional ways to make this happen. In the early stages of using offsites as the new on-site, some companies um, consider short gatherings in which employees meet at hotels, restaurants, Airbnb mansions, or even in the office itself to collaborate on work while also reconnecting socially. They're also feeling out how often to meet like this. Many executives say it may be enough for remote employees to come together in person once a month and even quarterly in the future. So some companies already see a need for new technologies to help with this um, more complicated arrangement. For example, the cloud services provider Cloudflare has had discussions about developing an internal tool that could help managers plan offsite and team gatherings, which is a task that can be tricky when employees are spread across multiple cities and sometimes multiple countries. At Ethos, which is a San Francisco-based life insurance provider, its staff of about 350 people work um, primarily remotely, but now holds gatherings for its leadership team approximately every six weeks. So while some have even been held in company offices, others have taken place at hotels or even the chief technology officer's backyard fire pit. Teams at tech giant Salesforce have held recent gatherings in a backyard in Palm Desert, California, in company offices in New York and at hotels in states such as Arizona. Team agreements outline how employees will work and how often they come together in person. Most companies' number one danger is that people would likely disengage from company culture. So to avoid this, some companies have to commit to meeting face-to-face at least once a quarter. 
Those agreements also help to give employees some long-term certainty about how they will work and gather. So gathering outside an office in venues that give employees a chance to go on a walk or enjoy a picnic can help forge connections while work discussions go on. Some companies have begun allocating funds to individual teams, which means just five to ten people might get together at a ranch in Colorado or, for example, at a high-end restaurant or wellness center in Silicon Valley. And the Boston Tech startup identified the 26-person staff works virtually. Still, the company rents two corporate apartments, one in Boston and one near San Francisco, in place of offices so that employees can gather when needed. Each apartment is equipped um, with a conference table, sitting areas, a kitchen, and bedrooms where out-of-town employees can stay. The approximately 3,000-square-foot Boston space includes a terrace overlooking the Boston Public Library, three bedrooms on a downstairs level, and open areas for people to sit and chat. In addition, each bedroom has a desk and chair positioned so that the bed is not visible during a video conference in case employees need a private space to work. Some colleagues cook when employees use the apartments, while others can order in. So the apartments have rules, such as quiet hours after 11 p.m., and the company requires employees to have a COVID booster shot and also recommends that they take a rapid COVID test before entering the apartment. Those who spend the night have separate bedrooms and bathrooms for privacy, and those who cannot join in person because of family obligations or other reasons can be included through video conferencing. The company says its code of conduct still applies in its corporate apartments, such as prohibiting sexual harassment or any form of demeaning behavior. The company's workers' compensation insurance will typically also cover employees in those off-site spaces. Management experts say that balancing socializing and work demands at these new off-site locations is one of the areas that companies will refine as these periodic meetings become more common. For example, last fall, the advertising technology company Ad Colony booked the top floor at a boutique hotel in Midtown Manhattan as a pop-up office space for employees after giving up its office during the pandemic. Employees mingled over catered food and huddled together for discussions on a rooftop terrace. Last November, after months of virtual work, the Forte Foundation, which is a nonprofit that advocates for advancing women's leadership through business education, held a three-day offsite gathering in Austin, Texas. Staff meetings and leadership development sessions included a team-building activity that called for employees to divide into groups and then build bicycles for a local nonprofit. One evening, employees went on a boat ride and then sang karaoke together. So after the break, I'll talk about um, office lease expirations and how they pose a new threat to landlords and the banks financing these leases. Stay with us. A record amount of U.S. office space is hitting the market this year due to a jump in lease expirations, putting property owners in a bind, 
and then threatening to leave banks and other lenders stuck with more troubled loans. Most office building owners have been able to ride out the pandemic because corporate tenants have been locked into long-term leases. They continued paying rent even when their employees stayed home. However, real estate brokers now say that many tenants are shrinking their offices as more leases expire because they need less space under um, hybrid strategies that blend office with remote work. Leases for um, about 243 million square feet of U.S. office space are set to expire in 2022, which is the most office space to hit the market in a single year since real estate services firm JLL began tracking this data back in 2015. So the expiring leases represent about 11% of the U.S. overall leased office space. Experts say that the rise in office space hitting the market this year directly results from the pandemic. Many office tenants whose leases expired last year or back in 2020 negotiated extensions of just one year or two years rather than renewing the typical length of 10 years or longer, as these firms try to determine how much less space they might need under a hybrid approach. The looming lease expirations represent a 40% increase since 2018, and they pose a new threat for office landlords who are already frustrated by stubbornly slow return to office rates and a national vacancy level of about 12.2%. According to a real estate data firm, Coastal Group, that 12.2% rate is an all-time high for the pandemic period and it's up from 9.6% as of the end of 2019. So that rate could move higher though. Real estate analytics firm Green Street estimates that hybrid work will cause a 15% drop in demand for office space. Because most building expenses are fixed, even a tiny drop in leasing revenue often leads to a significant decrease in profits and an even more considerable reduction in a building's value. Moreover, an economic slowdown could add further strain because office leasing is highly dependent on the economy. So troubled loans to office building owners are also on the rise. In February, 21.2% of office loans made after the global financial crisis packaged into commercial mortgage securities were either handled by special services or placed on watch list. According to a Barclays report, these two closely watched categories could lead to defaults, and that is the highest level since 2010. Analysts will also be keeping an eye on office loans when banks start reporting first quarter earnings in the coming weeks. Financial institutions with the most significant exposures to the office markets include Heritage Financial and Eagle Bancorp, which have more than 13% of their loan portfolios backed by office buildings. And that's according to Stevens Incorporated, a financial services firm. So far, most lenders have not taken any big hits from their office loans, but all that could change if a decline in leasing causes property values to fall. According to data from TREP Incorporated, about $1.1 trillion worth of loans backed by office buildings are outstanding, and about $320 billion of those loans are maturing either this year or next year, 2023. So not all the news is terrible, however. 
Big tech companies have expanded by 12.1 million square feet since the pandemic, according to JLL. Lenders also showed more caution in the years before the pandemic than they exercised in the periods before the two previous recessions. And while loan volume hit records, banks and other lenders mostly stayed clear of super high leverage levels that provide a little cushion when values fall. But the combination of rising interest rates, lower occupancy, and tons of debt coming due could be a triple whammy for building owners. Problem loans have started to surface. Um, for example, Blackstone Incorporated is expected to hand back a troubled midtown Manhattan office building with a $308 million debt load to creditors. The building's loan was turned over to a special servicer after its main tenant, L Brands, decided not to renew its lease when it expired last month. So the retailer is taking much less space in a new location because it's turning to a hybrid work strategy. A Blackstone spokeswoman said the building posed a unique set of challenges that are not representative of their portfolio. So most tenants are not expected to boost their leasing activity anytime soon. Real estate data firm VTS said one indicator of tenant demand, which is how much space companies are touring, was about half its pre-pandemic level in February. In addition, companies increasingly prefer shorter-term deals, bringing more uncertainty for landlords. So Material Connection, which is a materials consulting firm, for example, last year moved into a co-working space managed by Serendipity Labs in Manhattan after ditching its much larger Park Avenue office. New York-based law firm Herrick Feinstein LLP wants to reduce its office space by 30 to 40% when its lease expires in a few years. The firm said it's not thrilled about giving up private conference tables, but spending less on office space means its lawyers can take home more pay. So after the break, I will briefly talk about the recent investment Google made in US offices and data centers um, all over the country. Stay with us. So Google plans to invest about $9.5 billion in U.S. offices and data centers this year, and that's up from $7 billion in 2021 as it opens up new branches and expands existing facilities. The company said the investment in more than a dozen states would create at least 12,000 new full-time jobs by the end of 2022. So the plan is to open a new office in Atlanta, boost its presence in New York, build out its campus in Boulder, Colorado, and invest in data centers across the country. So in a blog post, Google CEO Sundar Pichai said it might seem counterintuitive to step up investment in physical offices, even as the company embraces more flexibility in how employees work. Yet... He believes it's more important than ever to invest in their campuses and that doing so will make for better products, a greater quality of life for their employees, and stronger communities. Over the past five years, Google has invested more than $37 billion in offices and data centers in 26 states in the U.S. 
In March 2021, Google announced plans to spend $7 billion during the year to expand its footprints of offices in the U.S. as well as data centers, including pouring about $1 billion into its home state of California. In 2021, Google said it was buying a Manhattan office building for $2.1 billion. The deal for the new building on Manhattan's west side was the most expensive sale of a single U.S. office building since the start of the pandemic. So to wrap up, um, I've discussed the secondary effects of the pandemic on workplace cultures, such as the rise of off-site meetings, as well as new risks to banks and landlords due to expiring office leases. So that's all I have for this episode 138 of the Big Picture Podcast. Thanks for listening. Big Picture Podcast is produced by Sunshine Media in association with Alowinly Productions. Fact checking by Zara Kuznetsova, audio engineer Sergey Goski, graphic design Stacy Graham, senior producer Abidemi Ologunde, executive producers Olufolani Ologunde and Toby Loba Ologunde. Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurity's news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Beat Picture Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, please share the show with anyone that you think might benefit from it. For questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bdme at thebeatpicture.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter at BeatPicture, on the Clubhouse app at Beat, as well as on the Wisdom app at BDME. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.